Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, our film is actually a request from one of our listeners, Andrew, who uh, counts this one among his favourite films. So what we've watched is The Fountain, directed by Darren Aronofsky, released in 2006 and starring Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Now we're going to talk spoilers, So, because I really don't know how you talk about this one without spoiling. Yeah. Um. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, maybe pause now and come back after you've seen it. Um, a little I, – I would normally at this point try to describe the plot to you, um, and I will, but I've stolen it from Wikipedia because it's a bit interesting. Uh, so the plot summary from Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. The film consists of three storylines in which Jackman and Vice play different sets of characters, a modern-day scientist and his cancer-stricken wife, a conquistador and the Queen of Spain – and a space traveller in the future who hallucinates his lost love. That's kind of accurate. Conquistador. Conquistador. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's sort of the three interwoven stories and I don't, I couldn't tell if there were meant to be three different people or like reincarnated versions of the same people. Yeah, I was thinking there were. whether the guy in the future was actually the guy from the present because that, he seemed like exactly the same guy. No, that, I, I agree with you. They seemed like three of the same guy who maybe who had learned a little bit more each time or something. I don't, yeah. Mm-mm. But then, like, we, we see – this is where we get into the spoilers – we see Tomas the Conquistador die. Yes. Right? But then Tommy, who is <laughs> – Tommy, who is in the present day, yeah, so um, his s- wife dies. So but his we see wife him is, alive at the end. We see him, yeah, and he's alive at the end. That's – his wife is um, – is, you know, Rachel Vice is Rachel Vice, who also plays the queen in the first one, and then she's his wife in the second one. So they actually seem kind of like different roles, but then he seems like exactly the same guy. And then she's not even in the future, except as like a an hallucination type Slash apparition tree. thing and a tree. Yes, she's also we a think. tree. Um, possibly. So, needless to say, this is um, it's slightly confusing. Um, it's a beautiful film. Looks amazing. Mm. Like some of the um special effects, and apparently it was done on a bit of a budget as well. Yeah. Uh, some of the special effects, or I don't know if this, the effects are um <laughs> quite wonderful. There's some beautiful transitions between uh timelines, I guess, mm. and um some of the just some of the regular shots are really quite gorgeous. Yeah, it is pretty. Um, I've seen prettier films that are less like over I don't know I I I feel like it was really trying to push in your face that it was pretty yes um the the future scenes are just like I know about suspension of disbelief and all of that sort of thing but he's floating around space in this bubble with a tree and there seems to be no gravity at the bottom of the bubble I mean there is gravity at the bottom of the bubble but there's no gravity at the top of the bubble and he makes out with his weird tree wife and he Are you bringing your <laughs> earth logic into this no gravity at the bottom but there's gravity at the top no, it's the Wait, other way, other way around. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know that I shouldn't be overanalyzing that, but I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I couldn't like put myself into that world. And I think mm. that's part of the problem I had with this whole thing is that like, even though I think Jackman and Rachel, uh, Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz were actually really good in it. Yes. Um, I was trying to think of it with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, who were the original people that he wanted to put in it. And I actually didn't think it would have been as like they would have been as good somehow, maybe Kate Blanchett. But I actually thought that these guys really had a good connection. Yeah, I they thought were really good together. That these two actors were really good, and yeah. 
I could imagine it with the other two, especially um, like current day Brad Pitt with his particular fondness for doing arty, <laughs> pretentious things. Which, by the way, because the Tree of Life is actually featured in this movie I was yes. thinking about. I haven't seen the other Tree of Life, mm. but it sounds like it's also, you know, equally uh, lofty. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. I feel a bit bad because you and I, our tastes do tend to lean towards the entertaining and yes. the lowbrow, don't they? Like we, This is the kind of film that we would have watched in film school and we would have had to write an essay on and everyone would have been going on about how beautiful and lyrical and artistic it was. And it <laughs> is very artistic and it is probably very lyrical and it certainly covers – it certainly thinks about some interesting themes. I it does like take a long was, time to get there though. I felt like it was kind of talking down to me about those themes because when I read the, yeah. the Darren Aronofsky quote – um, which is like his his th- his thing about what the movie's about. He goes that it's okay to die and how to learn to accept that. And I'm like, there have got to be more straightforward ways of telling the story and more entertaining ways of telling the story of that it's okay to die and how to come to terms with that than three interwoven storylines from all across time with fancy future tree bubbles. Mm, I kind of liked the way he got there in the end. That, okay. That- he sort of what sort of happens is that we have um one straightforward story where he doesn't spend enough time with his dying wife and mm. it all goes bad and he does make some wrong some wrong decisions and then we have he kind of gets a bit of a do over just towards the end and I yeah. kind of liked that bit where it's all about where he finally learns that he will shed his blood but then it will f- cause flowering and new life will come from you know we all have to die in order that new life can be born i, I we all I have like to die message. in order that flowers can grow out of our stomachs sorry yes. i just couldn't yeah i i i i appreciate the attempt to tell a story that hasn't been told a lot and i liked i mean i felt like his heart was really in it yes but it was so awkwardly done. Like that scene just made me laugh really hard. When uh, the conquistador finds the tree of life, he gets its semen sap from it and <laughs> eats it and like puts it on the wound on his stomach. And then like flowers start growing out of his stomach and take over his yeah. body. It's, and it's kill a none him. too subtle metaphor it that is... in order that, you know in order for new life to grow, he must die. But but the then, least subtle metaphor. Yeah, and ever. It's a, there's a very very unsubtle metaphor running through it of um, what, what we like to call the Voldemort storyline, <laughs> where he is so terrified and afraid of death and can't let go of his wife who is dying, mm. and is terrified of his own death and everybody else's that he spends his whole life working to reverse death hmm. he he works with um he's a scientist who's you know testing well, ways of curing his wife on animals and- it's almost it's almost like though cuz as the conquistador his obsession cuz this is a very obsessive character i mean a really obsessive yes. character but when he's a conquistador his obsession is actually protecting spain yes right and then the queen um rachel vice is the one who puts him onto this obsession with living forever. Like up until that point, he had no interest in it. In fact, when they actually tell him about it, he's like, why are you telling me about this when there's um, like the, the Spanish Inquisition is destroying Spain? I mean, he, he, he doesn't have this obsession with death yes. until she sort of puts him on the path to that because it's her th- interest. Well, that- yeah. And he he sort of, and then I think he sort of falls in love with the queen. Like so, where I think that was going 
is the Spain that he is part of, he is we're in the very middle of the Spanish Inquisition and um the, the Inquisition has gotten to the point where it's even coming after the Queen and her mm. favourites and things like that. So what I think, where I think this is coming from, so the film has a lot of um, religious overtones, tree of life, that kind of thing, and we start with a quote from Genesis. Mm. Um, so what I'm thinking with um, this is that where that comes from is we see the very worst of the Catholic Church in the Spanish Inquisition, you know, this witch hunting, this... Uh, twisting of Christian values into killing everybody who doesn't believe exactly what the head of the Inquisition believes. Mm. And I think where he's coming from is that it's going back going back to this more fundamental, biblical, mystical Mayan thing of searching for the tree of life and the, you know, the mystical parts of where you will live forever and that kind of I think that's what that might might have been underlying all that. And so oh. the Queen gets him interested in that because it, he he got going to be a conquistador in South America is like a great adventure and gets him away from the horrors of the Inquisition. And I think there might be a bit of a none too subtle, like back to basics kind of message. And okay, yeah, that that was where I was. And I'm only coming up with this now, thinking about it afterwards. It, while I was watching it, I was just like, I, I well, I didn't really know. I, I, I'm I'm not even that sure where I. He does seem to be very quickly become interested in going to see yeah. the Tree of Life. like And obsessed with it. Like yes. he kills his best friend because of it. He mm. becomes obsessed with this this quest that she sent him on. Yes. Which I perceived as being part of his obsession with her and with Spain. And like I think yeah. that sort of um, comes so it's out in that. So it, it's more about him doing whatever it takes for her. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Like I was less... Uh, I mean, he does want to conquer death in a sense, mm. but it seems like he wants to conquer death for her. It's 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 more about his and um, I mean, in the second part, um, which is where their chemistry really comes into play, you can really see that he's in love with her. Like mm. he just pours his heart out all over the screen, and she's gorgeous in that part. Mm. Um, she's just wonderful in that. Like she's very, um, very full of life and and she's interested in all these other ideas which are you know things like um death as a new beginning of life and things like that um yes which is you know part of the story of the thing and that was see i wouldn't have minded just watching that storyline i thought that was the most interesting movie in there yeah the present day one Mm -hmm. um and for me certainly the space bubble was weird yeah for me personally, I feel like I would have been perfectly happy to watch a romantic drama. Like normally I don't like romantic dramas where people die. Um, I yeah. think it's boring and and heartstring pulling on purpose and all that and I, it annoys mm. me. But that was that this was one where I actually felt like I could get into that story because it was played out so nicely and both of them were really good in that and I felt like that was the most mm. interesting story. Well, it, it, and, and it, it could have given you the same message without all the future tree bubble stuff. Mm, well, I should, I'm actually thinking now that it, it isn't heartstring pulling, which is kind of the nice bit about it. Yeah. Um, because Precisely because of the whole message of the film. Yeah. You know, it's not pulling on your heartstrings. She knows she's going to die and she does so with, as they say at her funeral, calm and grace and mm. kind of she's very accepting of it all. She's been – she wasn't kind of, at first, but she comes to accept. She, co- it. she yeah. comes around on it, and she's been sort of tidying up her affairs and writing her book called "The Fountain," which is where the title comes from. Um, and she's asked him to finish it for her, so she kind of she's yeah she sort of makes peace with it. And it's not she certainly doesn't die. It's not some kind of 
So I haven't watched very many romantic dramas, but I get the idea <laughs> that there's a lot of deathbed crying and yeah, oh I always uh, I always measure them by steel magnolias standards. Yeah. Like it's another one I haven't seen. But even seen. I've seen the Notebook as well, and that <laughs> yeah, it, I I always get frustrated with the whole. I mean, there's nobody dying in the Notebook. It's a different sort of idea. Oh. But I always get she's frustrated. not she's trying not to spoil me because we're going to watch it for the podcast in a few weeks' time. I yeah. think I always get frustrated by being told. I mean, I know that mm. movies are supposed to lead you into what you're going to feel, uh. but I always hate being told what I'm supposed to be feeling in mm-hmm. a movie. And so when they go for that sort of like heartstring pulling stuff, yeah. it, it drives me crazy. But yeah, I didn't feel like no, this was. didn't do that at all. This was just sort of presenting the idea of life and death. And that's fine. It was... It was all fine. Yeah. It's just not it, – it just doesn't really get you – I didn't feel like I was drawn into the story at all. Mm. Like, I could have turned it off at any point and sort of figured out what was going to happen apart from, you know, the actual way it happens. But, mm. you know, I, I didn't feel like I was really I, – I wasn't really that involved in it. Okay. I felt like it was just sort of a mess mm. in the storytelling. Yes. I just thought of something I was going to say, but now I've completely forgotten about it. It was something about something that they do well. But anyway, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Um, the shots are pretty. Lots of close-ups and then yeah, really, no, really that's far away shots. All very pretty, and there's lots of yes, very very like forensic close-ups of mm. skin and hair and um, tree bark and stuff. That, Which he eats and then makes out with yeah, the tree. It's shot I really do in a have, way. I, I, I didn't realize when I was watching it how many problems I have with the future tree space bubble stuff. Yeah, you clearly do. I've kind of <laughs> – I think I was willing to um, accept that a lot more than you. <laughs> I like sci-fi too, but I yeah. was just sort of like, what? Yeah. And there's no setup for it, I think, is the other thing. Mm. You don't see him get into his future tree space bubble. You don't see how that came about. It's just like his whole future sp- timeline is just him in this future tree space bubble floating around towards this dying star nebula. And there's no context for it. I see now. Now you've now you have reminded me of what I was going to say, which is it's something I think that, and I think it does this well, and you clearly think it doesn't do this well. But what I think is that that's actually, I, I like the way this treats its audiences as intelligent and lets you fill in some gaps. Like you can put your own story in there. You can, I guess you can. fill that. You need to fill that background in there. And of course, because it's such a personal subject, a matter of coming to terms with your own mortality. I think there is that element of some of it you just have to fill in yourself. And also perhaps him in his little future space bubble, it doesn't really matter how he got there because it's pretty much entirely metaphorical. Like he's not literally in a future space bubble. He's just, that's He could be anywhere. Really? He I might... thought he was literally in a future space bubble. Oh, Otherwise okay. the story at the end doesn't well, really no, I, I didn't make sense. Necess- well, yeah, I didn't necessarily think that had to be entirely literal. I think that could be him in his own mind. He could that could be he could be in some kind of meditative state, possibly m- many years later. But I think, yeah, no. I don't think that's meant to be. I literal. thought it was meant to be literal. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I've been taking this too literally because that just drove me crazy. I yeah. could not. And it, it starts there, doesn't it? Isn't that yes, the very starts first, the very beginning ends. of the movie? Is him in the future? So well, that, you, you're already thrust into thing. as soon as the. Movie starts, you're thrust into this completely alien, and this is the other oh. thing: is like my hard sci-fi and stuff, where I I don't like this being is more in a com- fantasy, well, hard fantasy, yeah, you know, hard sci-fi, where you're completely thrown into this like world that has no connection with ours, um, I guess. Well, again, um, and this is how I think of him is because 
at the very end, one of the um the mine that he ends up killing, uh, before he then moves out to the tree and regrows as a new person, new plant life. Um, <laughs> at that point, the that mayan like worships him as though yeah, he's the king. Yeah, it sees him. So now this is what I'm thinking that the spa- future space bubble is kind of a like a god heaven deity higher power kind of metaphor. So it sort of starts and ends with the the idea about of the tree being, of course, the you know the origin of life, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the oh, omega. Right. So it's like the Circle like he life. is the person who brought the the tree into being, and then yeah, like he's the one who's obsessed with finding it, and then does it again, and sort of you mean like an eternal yeah. Kind so of he, he's loop. More, it's more of like a, a and again, I don't think not necessarily literal, and not necessarily you know he, the same Tom Tommy character, but him as yeah future him as a deity that kind of or or the oh. idea of deity eternal life through birth and death and nature and birth and death and animals and plants and humans, that kind of thing. That's where I was. I thought that was going. So oh. now, now I haven't even thought of any of this. I'm just, this is just coming off the top of my head now, now thinking about it, looking back, it's kind of weird. Okay. So I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm now taking the movie way too literally. Ha- perhaps I'm, I'm like, now, you, you, listeners, you might actually be hearing me coming around on this movie. <laughs> we just watched it. We, we, uh, quite literally sat down after we watched this. You, normally we watch a movie and then record a podcast a couple of days later. This one, we, we've just watched it tonight and now we're recording mm. maybe half an hour after we've watched it. So it's a much more immediate reaction than we normally get. We've usually had a couple of days to kind of process it. So I'm, yeah, I watched it and I did the thing that I do when I watch movies that are lyrical and artistic and I was like, oh, I'm getting bored. This is boring. Yes, pretty shot. Yes, your acting is very good. Look at that close-up of you crying. But just now that I'm starting to think through some of the themes and metaphors, I might actually be coming See, around on it. This is the thing for me. It's all about like I, there was one scene in the movie where I was really loving it, and that was that the bath scene. Uh, was yeah, where he gets his shirt off. Well, it's all worth okay. it for that scene. No, no, no. Uh, the bath scene is gorgeous, regardless of whether he gets his yeah, shirt off. Yeah, no. The, it just that's like this is this amazing scene of she's dying, and but the, it's just a moment for them like connecting and talking mm. about the things that are going on and then and being in love with each other and stuff and it's this really lovely well acted scene and for me that is that's why I think that part of the movie is so much more interesting to me is because that's the part where you really see some I don't know some kind of storytelling skills yeah. whereas the rest of it is just like ideas that they sort of threw up on the screen mm-hmm. rather than like telling a story I guess for me, like really good storytelling is is something that connects with you. And, and um, I, I I also think it's good if it makes you think about things, but I was Mm. too lost on all the confusing stuff to really concentrate on the things. I I could understand what was going on. I just sort of didn't care because it was flicking around all the time and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So you do, you, you, yes. So (laughs) let, let me start from the beginning of that. So, Yes, the the scene in the bath between the two of them, the where they, the connection between the two of them in that modern day scene is wonderful. Like he mm. he clearly adores her, and they are clearly wonderful together, mm. and they they're great. And I think it does. It sort of there's a whole lot of stuff to take you out of that. Yeah. Um. It it starts really slowly, so you kind of spend the first ten or fifteen minutes kind of wondering when you're going to figure out what's going on. Because we, we move around, move between future space bubble and 
Spain and modern day and flashback and flash forward and snow and yeah I also didn't get into the movie until the modern day stuff no either. and I agree like, with you and I, I didn't was not either. interested until the modern day mm-hmm. stuff and, that's and I where think I was it's also going. partly because the Spain story is not very nice either no no it's kind of unpleasant like the reasons that they're doing stuff is quite Mm. I, I don't know. It's it's none of yeah. It's well, it's really it's some o- of the honorable. worst parts of humanity: the Spanish Inquisition, our um, imperial advent, you know, European imperial adventures in throughout the rest of the world. All that. Yeah. It's some of the worst things people and in history not ever did. The, like he seems like he could be the same character going mm, on a she's journey. She's not the same. Character she's at not all. at all the same character. She mm-hmm. is just out for she's just the same actress playing another character yeah yeah but then there's this weird that's the thing is that like he clearly must fall in love with her because then she says if once you find the tree of life we're going to be together forever and that's something that's sort of see this is where i get the obsessive sort of thing that sticks in his mind and so forever 500 years later yeah exactly so so and in the future like that's 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 his like motivation for everything is her saying we're going to be together forever Mm. so it's not him hating death it's him being obsessed with the idea of just being with this woman that he loves forever and that was planted by her yeah sort of Mm. i don't know it's quite Mm. i'm conflicted on the the way that the theme is basically i'm conflicted on the way that he because when i read that quote that was my first thought was like there's got to be a better way of telling us that is sort of my (laughs) yeah Hmm. And and I could tell that he wanted to really badly. Darren Aronofsky wanted to give us that yeah. idea and he was really invested in it. I just didn't feel it. And he didn't really start to make it clear until the last third of the film yeah. when you were, when he sort of gets that do-over. But I, I agree with you that um, I didn't really start to connect with things until I got to the modern day bit. That's because that's where I sort of started to understand what was going on. And there are a few things that I'm pretty sure must be deliberate ways of keeping you out of it like there's a lot of really slow movement there's almost no dialogue for the first 10 or 15 minutes oh and there's those long and, silent yes. scenes so there are long really silent scenes where there's just a hint of score underneath or sometimes no score at all it's just completely silent we kept um like checking our volume to see we hadn't done anything and then suddenly be this loud battle scene and um it happens very early on in the film but there's also a lot of whispering. Like he's mm. constant. He whispers in his wife's ear in the modern day. He whispers into the tree, which is the symbol of his wife, and then makes out with it. Yes. Um, <laughs> in a matter of speaking, <laughs> the whole thing about the tree wife thing. That just this is the thing is that that just took me out of the movie so much yeah. that I just, as you can tell, I just couldn't. Mm. But the whispering get past and it. the completely silent see the first silent scene is just like you just wonder what the hell is going on and you're like playing with this volume just to make sure you've actually got the tv still working and all that kind of stuff but the second time they do a silent scene is just after the wife has died and he walks outside of the she hospital hasn't died yet i think she had the, that was after she, uh, had the she had the collapse yes sorry she collapses and goes to the hospital and he walks out of the hospital and he walks past all the stuff that would ordinarily make noise like there's somebody welding and there's an ambulance and and he, it's completely silent and then suddenly he's nearly hit by a car and there's all this noise again. But that that made perfect sense yeah. to me. That That's like a reg- – I've seen that kind of stuff done before. That's not yeah. weird or unusual and I see what kind of story he's trying to tell there. Yeah. But earlier on there was some silent stuff and all throughout they whisper at such a volume that – now and we – we're watching it on a home TV, not in a cinema, but we have the 5.1 surround sound in the house. So it's not like we're – and we're not trying to watch this on two-channel speakers or anything. We're watching it with a proper sound system. But it was 
so quiet. Yeah, it was practically inaudible. We was it was basically inaudible. Lots of dialogue was inaudible. Yeah, I don't necessarily think you missed much if you can't <laughs> not by not hearing it, but it, it, maybe we did. There were a few things that the wife was saying that I was interested in. Yes, because her, her coming to accept what had happened to her was a big part of the story. Yes, um, and I could have swear it. I could have sworn at one point she said she didn't want to be buried anymore. But I didn't I'm not hear sure that. if I heard that right because yeah. then later on they're burying her and I'm like, isn't that kind of going against her wishes? But I might not have heard I that correctly. didn't hear that at all, so maybe. <laughs> um, that's I'm the thing, sure. like I just sort of – and that takes you out of it. And But, I mean, even with that, the modern-day stuff is just so, like – and it's is that Ellen Burstyn, yes, I think, is, yes. is in there as well and she's really good in it. And it, it's so, like, arresting and so um, – I don't know. That was a more emotional um, yes. and more – and that's what you want. You want to connect with a movie. You don't mm. want to be taken out of it constantly or to not be able to connect with the ancient – I mean, not ancient, but the historical, the historical. Spain stuff. Well, you, you I, I want to be able to get mm, into it. The mm, the historical stuff is, is kind of interesting because I, as far as I can tell, it really only serves to tell us why he first became obsessed with this tree of life thing. And like – its origins as well, mm. like the Mayan stuff. Whereas things like the Spanish Inquisition and, you know, the conquest of South America can probably be used to tell a more, uh, probably add more to the story than just he went after the Tree of Life because he was had a thing for the Queen of Spain. Yeah, I know, yeah. Mm. I mean, there, there's a uh, lot of uh, there's a whole really lot of, heavy yeah, like, stuff about colonialism and religion and all that in there. And, and like and, we discussed before, I talked about, you know, the church and the Inquisition is the very epitome of the church going away from the Bible and becoming about a secular, uh, secular human ways of doing things. But uh, mm. yeah, that was another thing where uh, the, when when he was taught, brought, the the story was brought to him by a priest and mm-hmm. the queen. He goes, "Why are you troubling troubling me with all these stupid little fairy stories?" And they're like, "Oh, it's not a fairy story. It's in the Bible too." And I was like, "Yeah, it's in the Bible. It must be true." But anyway, well, yeah. that's just a me thing. I know that. But, like, really, that was just sort of a moment where I was like, oh. But, of course, he's going to believe it then because mm. he's religious. Well, um, and he's he's living in a time where you didn't – there was really no other choice Yeah, I know. Choice but I, I couldn't and, and tell again, if that was a him thing or a story mm, – like, the uh, storytelling uh, thing, like although I'm apparently – it's a So where I'm going with this is that I'm thinking that that's kind of a commentary on religion about how um, – about people moving away from being Christian in the sense of the Bible towards being like the Catholic Church at that point. Yeah, and and the movie is trying to say you need to come back to a more... Yeah, uh, coming back to your... Uh, yeah, be more like... Because they, they refer to the Mayans and their um, death planet, whatever it's called. Their, oh, the nebula. Their, the their, neb- their the nebula as being the afterlife. and So they, they come back to, you know, a more tribal primal idea of spirituality as opposed to the um you know high renaissance royal court inquisition era yeah but it's definitely with the christian idea of yes of spirituality and religion and stuff as very being much like the correct path to heavily take. yeah yes heavily yeah. heavily christian overtones there's a bit um in towards the end where he's got a like a dagger and he holds it up so it's how it looks like a cross mm. and i was like see what they did there yeah. See what they did? Um, Not very subtle. No, but then um, no. apparently um, Darren Aronofsky's other movie, Pi, which I haven't seen, no. is heavily influenced by Jewish mythology. Okay. So maybe it's just an exploration of the mythology it, rather it, than it, a it, like film that's 
promoting Christianity. And and I'm, I'm yes, I don't think it's promoting a particular version, but I do think it's start, it's exploring some of the the history uh, because as uh, and it takes Christianity because it's the one that his viewers will be most familiar with, I guess. But it's about you know religion as one of those human ways of coping with the fear of death, which is of course mm. the theme of the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just I I don't have a whole lot of time for really I mean it sounds bad cuz you know movie reviewer and all that but really spiritual type anything I don't tend I to know. have a lot of time for so really spiritual type movies tend to make me just sort of go yeah okay yeah and there are other issues with this is it's like like we said at the beginning our tastes do tend towards the mainstream mm. we like action we like being amused we like Joss Whedon and things that I make us laugh. Like, I like it's not just action. I mean, I do. So tend we to like sci-fi smart, and action we, and stuff like yeah. that. I like stories that are a a straightforward story that's told really well. Yes, that's my favorite kind of story. Is something that is. I mean, it can be complicated story as long as it's told well. But I like stories that are just like yeah. told to me really well so that I understand what's going on and I'm sucked into mm. it and I'm and, and I I like to be, you know, I, I do like to think about things after that's finished. I like to be intellectually challenged. But I don't think that stories should be this confusing in order to intellectually challenge you. I think it should tell the story that it's trying to tell, not three million different things trying around a theme. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so so it's mm, it's definitely one of those sort of arty lyrical film festival type movies yeah. it's not um you know it's it's not something you necessarily find yourself watching on a saturday night just hanging out with the fam <laughs> yeah 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 i guess um yeah, yeah it, i again with film festival type things i tend to think that people are looking for and i know people all people dif like different people like different types of movies yes but it feels like they're looking for something that other people aren't going to understand to prove that they're smarter than you are yes Yes, yes, yes. It's like, oh, I'm I'm a film critic or I'm a film buff, and I like this movie because it's weird and, it, and you it, don't understand it. Happens it happens in literature too. And I know too. that other people do like yeah. movies that are, you know, that people like different things, and people sort of will be attracted to things that maybe are slower and different and tell a story differently and and don't necessarily have a straight storyline like the kind of thing that I like. Yes. And that's fine. But I think with film festivals in particular, I think there's this snobbishness that comes into it where they go, we're going to award this movie the Palme d'Or because it looks pretty and you can't figure out what's going on. Yes, and, and I completely agree with you. I think a lot of – this is what we found – both of us studied film at university and we I found this as well. Like our, our teachers would say things like, The Thin Red Line is such a magnificent film. The Thin Red Line is one of the most boring movies you'll ever watch. It's got nothing on Citizen Kane. And, well, Citizen Kane, again, would have been an interesting story. It just needs a bit of editing, I think. Um, um, this is yes. what I suddenly realised. It's the Emperor's New Clothes. Yes. It's just everybody going, oh, if you don't understand this, then you're not as smart or as or as filmically yeah. talented or something as everybody so else. So it's self-indulgence. they go, oh, well, I have to understand that better than you. I'm going to give it the award. That's what it is. Yeah, no, it's... It's always been frustrating to me no, because it, it also then, that's the sort of thing that go, that says you know, the stuff that we tend to like isn't good or that, like, Harry Potter isn't good storytelling or it's something so like that because it's such simple language and things. But we've seen that J.K. Rowling can write other things. She wrote that that way because, for, for one thing, the first books are for kids. And I would argue that there is um, perhaps a greater discipline and a greater intellectual challenge in taking a really simple story, say, a toy story, 
mm. and making that work. I think that's yeah. um, probably to me that's a greater challenge and a greater achievement than necessarily yeah. well, telling the thing. See, now I'm, I'm imagining um, Toy Story as filmed by Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> That would be strange. Um, this is the thing is that this in my head is contrasting a lot with another movie I saw this week, which is The Conjuring, um, which I really liked, horror movie. Um, but The Conjuring is a story that we already know. This Conjuring is very much like in the exorcist roots of or ghost story roots of horror movie making. This is not going anywhere that we don't know, but it is told beautifully and terrifyingly like it is so scary with very simple things you don't get scared clapping. easily i know but it's like clapping hands and a doll and and just like creaks around the house and stuff but it, it is told so effectively that like you're on the edge of the seat your whole time even though you know that that what's going to happen you know where this is going you know that there's going to be a scare coming all that stuff it is told so so well and like everything looks amazing without it being forced yeah like whereas you know, so this is kind of a simple story told, told in the complicated most complicated way, way possible yeah. yeah okay so that's mm. that to me is like these two movies are really contrasting for me right now is the two yeah. movies i saw this week where one is this simple story that's told really well um and and the other one is a simple idea told really yeah. confusingly and messily mm -hmm. okay so yeah that's <laughs> yeah uh, whereas i think i was actually quite attracted to some of the ideas that this movie gets okay. into now, it's now that I find myself talking about it. But again, I didn't exactly find it the most engaging or enjoyable thing to watch. And I was certainly at, I might, had we not had a request to do this film, I may not have ever gotten around to watching it. Yeah. And I, or I might have given up on it. Yeah, yeah I, I probably agree with that. Mm. Anyway, ratings. Uh, oh, I haven't, I haven't done written a review of this yet. I know, so you're going to have to make it up rating. off the top of your head. I am going to say two and a half stars. Okay. I'm going to give it three and a half because I did engage a lot more with the ideas and I think he's trying to do something interesting, okay. even if he doesn't necessarily achieve it. Anyway, um, that's the podcast for this week. We've talked about The Fountain, directed by Darren Aronofsky, which came out in 2006. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to read any of the show notes or learn anything more about us, you can go to our website, which is silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of this or any other films that she sees, you can go to her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. If you want to chat to us, you're most welcome to contact us through our Facebook page or on Twitter, which is at screen underscore queens. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.